Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za It's wonderful to see everyone on this Communion Sunday. Please do turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 as we continue our series in the book of Acts. I must say, I don't know if I missed an announcement or something, but today people are looking very neat. Especially some gentlemen that usually look like it's a Friday. Today they just look wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's wonderful to see everyone uh, on their, in their Sunday best. If you're visiting with us, we are going through the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 18 today. Uh, last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 18, as well as the last part of chapter 18, as we considered the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. And today, we are going to the middle part to focus on the, the main character in chapter 18, which is the Apostle Paul. So we're going to read from verse 5 up until verse 11. Hear God's word. Now when both Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began to be occupied with the message, solemnly testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they resisted and reviled him, he shook out his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am guiltless. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And leaving there, he entered into the house and someone named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard about it, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision in the night, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, because I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, because many people are mine in this city. So he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is God's word. Thanks be to God indeed. When... When trying to understand the character of God, the nature of God, one of the tools you can use is to figure out which attributes of God come to focus after the fall. So God has always existed and he has been perfect in himself. He adds nothing, he loses nothing. And he creates mankind at a moment, he creates time, and he creates mankind, and mankind sins and falls. And at that moment, 
certain attributes of God come into focus in a way clearer than they were before. For example, God is patience. God is the perfection of patience. But if mankind had not fallen, we would not truly know the depths of his patience, do you see? There are, certain, there are levels of his patience that we would not see because we would not have to see them in action. If he had to deal with holy creatures the entire time, we would not know how patient he truly is. It is the same with grace. God is full of grace. God is grace personified. He adds no grace, he loses no grace. But we would not know how gracious he is if we, do, if we did not mess up as often as we do. If we did not need to see more and more and more of his grace, we would not know how full of grace he is. Well, in many ways, the fact that we are sinful and we live in a sin-cursed world amid a sinful people means that certain virtues must be required of us. Take for consideration, for our consideration this morning, the virtue of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Children, that's your word for the day as you are counting. Faithfulness. Have you ever thought about how faithful you would be if sin did not enter the world? Let's think about this for a second. Think about the internal and external factors that are caused by the fall that either cause you to not be as faithful in your duties as you can be, or factors that are caused by the fall that demoralize you from faithfulness. Internally, you have to fight your own sin, don't you? You have to fight your own sin that wants to stop you from being faithful in your duties. Children, you sometimes are told by your parents to do a task, but you don't want to do that task because your sibling didn't do the task yesterday, and it feels very unfair, doesn't it? And so while your parent is telling you, do this task internally, you don't want to. But faithfulness requires that you overcome your own resistance. You have to fight, some, in other cases, you have to fight your own lack of bravery. You have to do something, but you're struggling with cowardice. You can't bring yourself to be brave enough to say what needs to be said or to do what needs to be done. And sometimes the reality, because of the reality of your own sin, you second guess yourself. Am I being too harsh in this situation? Am I, am I, am I acting in ways that I don't want to be active with me? You're second guessing yourself. And because of that second guessing, that might lead you to a lack of faithfulness. Those are some internal factors, but what about external? Well, because we live in a, faith, in a faithless world, in a world that is cursed because of sin, the conditions in the world make faithfulness harder. There is sickness, disease of all kinds. There's mental deformities. There are other people who are lazily not doing their part, which makes it harder for you to do yours. There are things that are on your way that if people were doing their jobs, if they, hadn't, they weren't lazy, if they weren't sinful, things would be done that will enable you to do what you need to do. There are external factors as well to, the thing, to, to, to 
stopping you from being as faithful as you could be. There are all kinds of things that cause faithfulness to be hard. And yet, we are still called to faithfulness, are we not? When we are given a task by the Lord, when we enter a new season of life, when we are living in Christ, we are called to walk in light of the Ten Commandments all the time. None of these are relaxed because it's harder to do them. The Apostle Paul finds himself in our text today dealing with the kind of opposition to his work of preaching the gospel to such a degree that he is pensive, that he is discouraged from the work. And in his discouragement, the Lord comes and strengthens him, and he therefore continues. In many ways, what you need is the same thing that Paul needed and what Paul was given, which is strengthening from the Lord that results in a fresh confidence to do what we need to do. In this passage, we will learn various lessons of faithfulness from Paul's example. So let's get into the passage and we'll pick up these lessons as we go on. Verse 5 begins in our, pass, in our text, begins on a very encouraging note for Paul. First, remember that Paul had left uh, in Berea, he had left Timoth uh, Timothy and Silas, and he traveled to Athens alone. We saw that in chapter 17, and then in chapter beginning of chapter 18, we saw that he came to Corinth alone, where he met with Priscilla and Aquila, and he was working with them. But now in verse 5, uh, uh, Timothy and Silas come through from Macedonia, and the news that they bring, especially Timothy's news regarding the steadfastness of the converts who were struggling with persecution in Thessalonica, that news came to Paul with great, as a great relief. We see this written even by Paul himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 from verse 6 to 10, how he talks about how much, how relieved he was when Timothy arrived at this point. When Timothy arrives, he tells how well the believers are doing in the midst of the persecution that they are facing over there. But it's not also that, that, there's, that there's this great news of relief from Thessalonica. There's also a gift of money that came from Philippi with Silas and Timothy. And when that gift arrives with Silas and Timothy, it relieves him from the need to make tents and because of that, he can now focus entirely on doing his job. You see that in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia, Macedonia includes Thessalonica and Philippi. When they arrive from those areas, Paul then began to be occupied with the word. He's now able to preach and, and, and give himself to preaching because of that gift of money. We see this also mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and also in Philippians chapter 4. This means that the hindrance that having to provide himself is no longer an issue, so he can focus on the gospel. And what he does is what he's been doing everywhere. He goes into the synagogue to preach the gospel, proclaiming that Jesus Christ of Nazareth that was killed, he resurrected, and that same Jesus is in fact the Messiah that all the Jews have been waiting for. He goes in here in, uh, 
in Corinth, and there's, there's a synagogue of the Jews, and in that synagogue, they would, they would talk about a Messiah that they are waiting for who would bring them back to their land and free them from all the, the trouble that they had been in. And so he goes into the synagogue and identifies and gives a name to this Messiah. This Messiah that you're waiting for is Jesus Christ. And that's where his troubles begin. Paul devotes himself to preaching to these people as he always have been, as he always had in every other city but look at what happens they oppose him in verse 6 and they revile him to such a degree that he takes his garment and shakes it in their faces and said your blood be your own be on your own heads i'm no longer going to preach to you from now on in this city i'm going to preach exclusively to the gentiles Paul shakes his shirt against them. This is a gesture that a Jew would do to a Gentile, showing that they have no, they have no fellowship with one another. They are not going to eat with each other. And certainly it's the same gesture that the Lord Jesus told the disciples to do in, in Luke chapter 10, that if you come to a place and you preach the gospel and they do not lis listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and move on to where they will listen to you. Paul has been opposed, as we have seen over the past uh, couple of months. Uh, Paul has been opposed in his ministry multiple times by the Jews. And all he does is that he goes to a Jewish synagogue, preaches the gospel, and the leaders in those Jewish synagogues have a penchant of rejecting the gospel. We saw this wherever really Paul has been. We've been seeing this from chapter 13. And after years of this happening in different cities, you would expect Paul to be dejected. Right? You go to a place, you prioritize a certain people to give them a message, and every single time they reject you. Violently so sometimes. Sometimes, in fact, we saw a few, time, a, 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 a few cities ago that they, they tried to kill him. They stoned him to death. You'd expect Paul by this time to be exhausted by them and to not want to engage them any longer. The, the repetition of how often this happens is a, it feels a bit comical. Paul, don't you realize these people don't want to listen to you? But Paul goes back over and over again. In every city he arrives in, he preaches first to the Jews and then he preaches to the Gentiles. Here comes our first lesson in faithfulness. Faith, if you are to be faithful, you ought to develop a muscle of repetitiveness. If you are going to be a faithful person, you are going to, you are going to have to develop a muscle of repetition. Listen to me. Seldom does faithfulness require innovation. Seldom. Most of the time, faithfulness requires consistency and repetition. Doing the same thing over and over again, generally. Yes, at points, faithfulness will require certain changes here and there. But more often than not, faithfulness is found in doing the same thing in the way that you've been told to do that thing. Most of the advice that you receive in life suggests that to keep things exciting, you know, to make life work well, to keep things fresh at home and at work, 
is to try new things and explore new ideas and change some of the ways you've been doing things. And now I'm not here to fight with all the, with all the career advice you've ever, be, you've ever received. There's certainly a place for things of that nature. And certainly uh, there is a way to take what I'm saying to a bad extreme. You know, I, I, I doubt many of you would come back if every single Sunday I preached exactly the same sermon. How many of you would come back? Not much. Um, or would you? <laughs> Maybe I can just relax my work here and just... I'll preach this again next week. Let's see. No, no, uh, I jest. But you must understand that, of course, while we can take this too far, you must understand that the faithfulness you are called to in Christ is pretty repetitive. For Paul, faithfulness for him as an apostle of the gospel who sent out to Gentile nations, his job was to do one thing, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's his mission. You go to all the, 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 the nations where the Gentiles are and you get there, you find Jews, you preach the gospel to them and then you preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And notice also that wherever he traveled, he doesn't just preach to the same people, but he also preaches the same thing. He preaches the same gospel. The gospel does not change. He preaches this very same message that the Christ, the Messiah that you're waiting for, is Jesus of Nazareth. That the Christ who's come to free you from the bondage of sin has indeed arrived and he proved that he is the Christ by rising up from the dead. That this Messiah gives you now, offers you now, anyone who listens to my voice, gives you now life and life everlasting if only you would repent of your sins and believe in him. This is the same message that he preaches wherever he goes. We get details of it. Sometimes we get summaries of it, but it's exactly the same message. It has to do with Christ. It has to do with his kingship, his lordship, and it has to do with the fact that he is a savior that everybody needs. That same message is the same message for us today. If you're in here looking for a liberator, thinking how can I be freed, the answer is Jesus Christ. But Christ does not free you from perhaps some of the things that you think you need to be freed, on, freed from in the way that you might think you need to be freed from. See, Paul would be very unfaithful if he goes to different cities and says, yes, Christ is a, he's a freedom fighter and he can free you Thessalonians here from this particular political situation that you have. And then he goes to Corinth and says a different thing. No, he would be unfaithful if he did that. You see, even for you today, Christ is a liberator, he surely is, but the liberation he brings is from the judgment that is coming because of your sins. Christ comes to liberate you from judgment. Christ comes to take you away from what is coming to you because of what you deserve. You have sinned. You have angered God because of your rebellion, your repetitive rebellion. You're not listening to him, going your own way, doing your own thing, harboring bitter thoughts in your heart. Jesus comes to take the punishment for people like you. 
Because if nobody comes to take the punishment for that, you will have to take that punishment for all eternity yourself. But Christ comes and he comes with them to liberate, to free us all from the judgment that is heading for us. And so I'll say to you, if you're in here and you do not know Christ as your liberator, as your freedom fighter, the one to, who's freed you from the power and presence and judgment because of sin, I'm going to encourage you to come to this Christ, this Messiah, and find freedom that lasts forevermore. He preaches, he goes, preaches to the same people in the same way, and not only does he do that, but he preaches the very same message. But more than that, you, dear Christian, the life, <clears throat> you yourself, if we now to think about you, who's a believer, you are also called to preach the gospel. Now, obviously, not at the level and travel that Paul was required to, but to a certain level in your own life and in the context of the local church. You are called to apply the gospel. Nothing changes in what, what is required of you with regards to the gospel. No past discouragements should stop you from continuing your work of being a herald of the gospel at the level that the Lord has given you as a member of a local church. You are called to seek out how you can bless others with the message you have received. But more than that, the Christian life that you are called to is also quite repetitive. Not only are you called to preach the same gospel that Paul preaches, you are also called in Christ to live a very repetitive life. Every day, every Lord's Day, we, we gather together with the saints. It's the same thing. Every day, I want to pray and seek the Lord for the same thing. I want to pray, praise Him for His goodness and grace, and I want to ask Him for my, for my daily needs to be free from temptation and to have bread on my plate. It's the same thing. Every week, I'm chewing and meditating on the Word of God, both in private and with the saints. The same Word of God. It's not an updated new version. There's no new version that's going to come that I need that new one. No, it's the very same Word of God. I might have a different translation in English or whatever language you read it in, but it's the exact same Word of God that you are called to chew, to chew and meditate on on a weekly basis. Every hour regardless of external discouragements, I am to kill my own sin and seek the glory of Jesus Christ in all I do. It doesn't change. If you're a person who really is, is you're just, you're given over to wanting new thing and a new thing and you just, you just can't stay stable, you want this, new, new this, new that, exciting this, exciting that, you want new things all the time, Christianity is not for you. Christianity is pretty repetitive. Because the message has once and for all been delivered. And so what needs to be done in light of it is exactly the same. There's only one gospel, and that gospel is that Christ died, rose again, so that sinners can have freedom from sin and have life everlasting. There's no updating to that. There's nothing in there about health and wealth and having a great time. There's nothing in there about freedom from suffering or that you will, you will live a life here that is just full of ease. Yes, there is, it is in there, but it's, it's at the end when he comes back, 
When he comes back, he'll wipe away our tears. But while we're still here, he tells us, in this world, you'll have many troubles. He promises us trouble while we're here. He promises us aching bodies and diseases and deaths and heartbreak. And if you want a, a gospel that tells you something else, it will not be the faithful gospel that was preached by Paul. It will be some other thing from somebody, some, someone else's imagination. Jesus Christ has come. He is the liberator. And so for us as the people of God, we are doing exactly the same thing until he returns or we, we go home. Let me say this to you saints. This is, one of why, this is why one of the most foolish things that you can do is to say, well, I have already fallen in a sin. I might as well just give in. Have you ever felt that way? I've already sinned so badly. Why must I? I mean, what's the point now? It's not, like, it's not like there's any fixing of this now. It's all over. No! That's foolish talk. Jesus Christ proceeded from heaven to come to earth to live a perfect, fallless life so that you and I can have our life that is full of falls entirely and completely forgiven in him. The moment you base your faithfulness or the energy for your faithfulness on yourself, you've missed the mark. Your faithfulness, your, the energy for your faithfulness, the drive for your faithfulness must always be based on him and what he did. Soon as you look here and say, well, how can I continue now? I've already messed it up. I haven't been faithful here. You're looking at the wrong place. No one said that you can be this picture, this excellent picture of faithfulness. Nobody's ever said that. That's why Jesus came. If you're saying that, you are basically saying Jesus' sacrifice was optional. It wasn't necessary for you. Saints, that is not how we are to think. Through his sacrifice, we enjoy fellowship with the Father such that we are to never wonder about the state of our salvation. So let me say this with a full chest. Live a life of blessed repetition. Live a life of blessed repetition. The scripture says the one who endures until the end shall be saved. Endurance has a core part of it putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah? One foot in front of the other, going forward. Sometimes the step is a sprint. Some days you feel like you're being very faithful. You're, you're sprinting in the right direction and praise God for those days. And other days, it's a very weak step, isn't it? Other days, you're weak, you're, you're, you're exhausted, you're struggling with your own self or things external, but you still have to put one foot after the other. However weakly it is, follow the Lord Jesus because of what he did for us. Well, let us go on. What else happens here for Paul? <clears throat> well, two things happen uh, after this. After he says he's going to he, he's, after he says he's done with them, he's done with the, with the 
with the Jews in the synagogue, he's now going to go to the Gentiles. Verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Look at this. The Lord blesses Paul's continued efforts even after he had quit the synagogue. We're not told how the ruler of the synagogue came to hear Paul, but you could expect that it must have been very, he must have been around there because we're told that Paul now moved his operations of preaching to this house right next door. So imagine. The Jews in the synagogue, they kick Paul out and say, leave you, we don't want you here. They are opposing him. And then Paul says, fine. And he goes right across the road. And then he continues preaching right across the road. And notice, he goes right across the road. He goes to the house of a Gentile. See that phrase, God-fearer? Remember what we've seen about that phrase in the past in the book of Acts? That phrase, God-fearer, means a Gentile who had converted to Judaism. So he has this Gentile who says, well, they don't, won't have you over there. I'll have you here come. And he comes and he preaches. And the ruler of this synagogue where Paul was kicked out of, even he somehow heard Paul, perhaps went over there to meet with him, heard Paul, and he believed, and his entire household believed, and many other Corinthians believed. This is an encouragement you can imagine to Paul. Here, I want you to notice our second lesson. I want you to notice that faithfulness sometimes has delayed fruit. Delayed fruit. Paul preached at the synagogue, was rejected, but here many are coming to salvation, even the ruler of this synagogue. Sometimes, dear saints, faithfulness leads to immediate blessed fruit. Imagine if Paul had arrived at the synagogue, he preached that one time and everybody in the synagogue believed. It would have been, his life would have been much easier. It would have been a lot more instant gratification, a lot more exciting. Yes, I preached once and it all happened. But that's not how it happened. Sometimes you do what you are supposed to do. Sometimes you're called to do, you, you do what you're called to and there is a delay. And still other times, there is no fruit seen from your faithfulness at all. At many points, you might feel that you did the right thing, but you never really received the fruit from it. So in addition to repetition, it would be useful for you and I to grow the muscle that prioritizes seeking commitment to being faithful in all aspects to what you're called to, even if the results are delayed. Even if the results are delayed. You are to be a very immature Christian if you want everything to happen like that. Right? Anything worth doing generally does not happen like that. So as a believer, you should not only expect that sometimes you will get fruit over time, but you should relish and prize that process of patience. Mark Cahill wrote a book called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. That was the title of the book. 
And in this book, Cahill says that the one thing you will never be able to do, of all the things that you'll be doing for all eternity in heaven, the one thing you'll never be able to do is to evangelize. And so in this book, he argues that we should think practically about how, what we can do here, how we can do that here while we still have the time and opportunity to do this blessed work of evangelism that will fall away in eternity. Well, in the same way, learning to overcome your impatience, learning to overcome your desire for instant gratification is something that you can only do this side of death's door. In heaven, you will not work on yourself. There's nothing to work on. In heaven, you will not overcome anything. You will not see a gradual improvement, a getting better. Praise God, in heaven, you will be perfect. Amen. In heaven, there will be a rest that you will have entered to. You will be perfect. You will be walking like Christ, fully clothed in his white garments. You will be entered, you will be ushered, your striving will cease and you will enter into that eternal rest. But we must not rest too early. We must not rest too early. Those who rest from being faithful too early die a traitor's death. In ancient times, you will know, during a war, a soldier who left his post and went home would be killed as a deserter, wouldn't he? If, if your country was at war and you were told as a, that you're supposed to, as a man, here you are, go and fight for your country, and then you said, I no, I, I really, uh-uh, I, I don't want to be here, and then you went home to rest, what would they do to you back home? They'd kill you. Yes, we all agree war is ugly. No one likes war, but while it is a time for war, it is a capital crime to rest when you have been conscripted. We must have the same mind. That same mind that is in that soldier must be in us. To be a faithful father, to be a faithful mother, to be a faithful teacher, to be a faithful accountant, to be a faithful friend, to be a faithful spouse, to be a faithful member of society with the faithfulness that is defined by Christ requires us to relish the task even without seeing immediate tangible fruit. If we are to be faithful in all of our spheres, we must run away from the desire to rest too quickly from what we are told to do. The time of the consummation of the rest will come. But for while it is still day, we work. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says this to Timothy. He says this to Timothy. He says, do your best as a preacher. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. In heaven... There will be no doing your best to present yourself to God as having done your duty faithfully because there will be no more exertion. This beautiful work of Paul telling Timothy to do his best, to strive, to be better, to do well, to, to excel in all he does, to have no shame in his work, all of that, the opportunity for that is now. Saints, I encourage you to take this up and relish the opportunity for growth 
and change and to, to praise God while he changes you and while he does the work that he is doing. Well, the other thing that happens here is that the Lord appears to Paul in a vision. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This vision, this appearance of the Lord Jesus to Paul is significant. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, it reads primarily like an Old Testament theophany. Do you know what I mean by that? In the Old Testament, there were moments many times in the lives of the saints and the patriarchs where the Lord appeared to them and the first words he said to them was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This appearance has serious significance even in the text. There's a lot of things in here. Even, even this, this text really is, a, is, is one of those key texts that proves the deity of Christ. I don't have time to go into that today. But it is quite a rich text because it is almost copied from those Old Testament theophanies. But, in, but the significance for our, for our consideration this morning that I want to point your attention to is that this is the Lord encouraging Paul to continue to be faithful in the midst of opposition knowing that he will be successful because the Lord is with him. The gist of what the Lord is saying here to Paul is that Paul must keep preaching. Paul must not shrink back, but rather Paul must proclaim the gospel of Christ. In simple terms, Paul must be faithful. Now, we don't know why the Lord decided to show up to Paul in this way, but if we look at the pattern of these Old Testament theophanies, when the Lord shows up in this way, it's usually when there is a moment of discouragement. So obviously, so it's possible that Paul, having been kicked out of the synagogue, having to do the same thing over and over again, and he is preaching from the other side, he might feel that he does not want to preach to the Jews in this city anymore. He doesn't want to continue. In any event, we're not told why the Lord comes, but we're told what the Lord says when he comes. He says, do not be afraid because I am with you. You will be safe. And the second reason, he says, is there are many people who are mine in this city. First thing I want you to pay attention to is that he says to him, do not be afraid. I will keep you safe. The Lord's assurance to Paul that he should not be afraid because the Lord will not let him be harmed, echoes throughout the scriptures. The Lord said this to Moses, to Joshua, to Elijah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to the disciples. Paul here is in very good company. He is receiving a ministry of encouragement directly from the Lord that affirms him in his duty and comforts him with regards to his temporal circumstance. These commands to these great men to not be afraid are always anchored in this simple line, I am with you. Right there in verse 10, for I am with you. 
That's what you find throughout. You find this to the injunction to Daniel. Do not fear the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you. It says the same thing to Joshua. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. He says the same thing uh, to the children of Israel. Then he said, I am God, the, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. He says this to the children of Israel as they are taking the, the promised land. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. The key, the key reason as to why this person who has been given this task to not fear, the very same, the, the key reason is not this person's strength, it's not this person's ability, it's not this person's intellect, but rather it is the fact that the Lord is with him. Because the Lord is with you, you have no need for fear. Because the Lord is with you, be faithful and trust Him. Yes, there will be ups and downs during your time of faithfulness. But there is no decisive victory against you while you are with the Lord. There might be things that feel like victories, but they're not decisive. They're not decisive because you are with the Lord. Paul says a very similar thing to the church in Romans 8 verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you could see truly what you have, the fact that the Lord is with you, and what that means for you, you will count the sufferings and the losses and the exhaustion and the discouragements here as nothing. If you were looking truly, at what it means that the Lord is with you. It's the very same thing that the Lord Jesus says to the church in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make, all, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Till when? Till the end of the age. Here's the formula. Jesus says, basically, I'm the man now. I'm the man now. Do what I tell you. I'll be with you. I'm the man now. Go tell others that I'm the man now. And I'll be with you. No one's going to harm you. I'll be with you until your time of faithfulness is complete. So saints, turning to you. Are you like Paul, commissioned by God to certain tasks? You are. So if you are like Paul, commissioned by God to certain tasks, the promise given to Paul is really a kind of promise that is also given to you. He is with you, so be faithful. He is with you, be faithful. Do not shrink back from what he has called you to do because of fear. Fear has no place here because of who is next to you. Remember what the gospel of Jesus Christ has achieved. You have believed in Jesus and you are now with God at all times. There is not a moment or an era in your life where you are without God in the world. In Christ you have forgiveness of sin, yes, 
but you also have the guarantee of his love remaining on you for all eternity. That love should comfort you, strengthen you for faithfulness. Paul, we're told, stayed a year and six months in Corinth after being encouraged this way. And I believe Luke did that on purpose. Luke is showing that Paul was encouraged by the Lord and he heeded the word of the Lord to stay there and preach for a long time. This is quite a long time for Paul to be in one place. It's one of the longest times in the book of Acts where he's in one place. And the reason for that is because the Lord had come to him to encourage him and to tell him to stay. It should be the same with you. The Lord is with you. Remain the course. It is going to be bumpy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. You're going to want to quit. There's certain areas in your life where you're going to want, you are going to be tempted to want to stop being faithful. But do not do that. He is with you. The comfort that you need is the comfort that Paul was given. He is with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, even now as we come to the table, we acknowledge that you are with us. And we ask that by your Spirit, you would strengthen us for faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner pleasing in your sight in all aspects of our lives as those who have been given this great gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for times when we have been afraid excessively to a point where our fear overrides our acknowledgement that you are with us. Strengthen us now, Lord, even now as we come to the table and give us the grace to continue putting one foot after the other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.